So when you go to get the mail at your house, how's your, how do you usually feel about the mail? Is it a good thing when you get the mail? Is it a bad thing? Does it depend? How, how is it? For you, it's good? Yeah? Okay. Well, that's good. I, I could tell you it's not always good for me. I mean, one, a lot of times it's just sales that I end up putting in my bin that I end up burning in my grill later as fire starter because it's just junk mail that I burn. But then, two, um, it's, uh, sometimes it's bills. Right? You get there, you get that, ugh, this thing, it finally came. But then there's other times where, and Roger, you said it, sometimes it is good because sometimes like a surprising card comes or package or whatever. I know Ruthie is just, just, just loves it when she gets my little four-year-old. For those of you who don't know who that is, um, just loves getting things in the mail. So sometimes mail can be, eh, whatever. It's just junk mail. All the times it can be um, kind of tough, and other times it can be just really exciting and, and, and really fun. Well, our lesson today brings us a special message from God. And it's, an ex- it's a lesson where we can have that same sort of experience as going to the mailbox. Uh, where we go and, well, there's no junk mail here, I'll tell you that. Um, but there might be some things that when you look at this message can be a bit tough uh, to think about. Tough to, to, to be honest about. Tough to deal with. But as our God always is, he is so gracious that it's not just a tough message, but it's a message full of, of beauty and love and healing. Today, our lesson, we have a a letter, a message from God, where God says to us, Dear church, and we'll get into the rest rest of the message as we go. Our lesson is Genesis chapter 16, verses 7 to 10. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Now our lesson today takes place during the lifetime of this well-known, very significant uh, figure in the Bible, Abraham, um, later known as Abraham. Um, And Pastor Krause brought that out with our uh, preparatory lesson today that it wasn't until a bit later that he has his name extended by God to Abraham. At this point, he still is Abram. And you may recall that after the world became sinful and broken, God made a promise that there was going to be a descendant of Eve who would come into this world to deal with the enemy and to conquer the enemy. Well, when we get to the life of Abram, we get some clarity to how God is going to do this and where this descendant is going to come from because he makes a promise that he's going to turn Abram into a great nation and through his offspring, all the people of the world are going to be blessed. So it's through this family line of Abram that God is going to conquer to defeat this evil one. Really significant figure in in, in God's word. Well, Abram initially gets this this promise from God when he is 75 years old. He gets this promise at this point, 75 years old, and our lesson today actually takes place about a decade later. So here at this point, he would be 85, his wife would be about 10 years younger, and they have no children. Whereas this man that God has made a promise, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. There's going to be all these descendants of yours um, that are going to come and, and going to be numerous and as the stars in the sky. But at this point, a decade after the promise, still no children. And actually, God doesn't come through and bring him that child of the promise until 25 years after 
he made the initial promise. Now, I, miss, I, I, was, I was incorrect at small group Bible study on Tuesday. I said 30 years. I apologize. It was 25. Still, nevertheless, a long period of time. And even at this point, when we get to our lesson, it's not all the way to the 25 years yet, but 10 years has gone by. And you can kind of understand then why this lesson proceeds the way it does. I mean, here you have Sarai, who all of her life's wanting to have a baby, and then there's a promise given to her husband, hey, you're going to have all these children, and then at that point, okay, it's going to happen. Ten years later, no kids. So at this point, she takes things into her own hands and says, you know, God is, God's not letting me have babies. Sleep with my servant. And then that's how I'm going to have a child. That's how I'm going to have a family. But when that happens, this servant, when she gets pregnant, starts, I don't know, giving her the stink eye or something, says that she started to just look at her in this negative way. Sarai gets really upset about it, gets upset with Abram that this happened, and she wants him to, wants God to judge between her and Abram, and, and, and Abram, he just, he's like, whatever. She's your servant, do with her what you want. And so she apparently abuses in whatever ways, is, 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 is hurtful to Hagar, and Abram stands there and lets her do it. As we look at this lesson, as we look at the background for this uh, lesson, it's time to open up our letter and begin to see some of the things that God says to us. And although you can see why this mailbox isn't in front of my house anymore. Uh, <laughs> they're both off. I don't know what happened. Man, it's crazy. But all right, let's look at this, uh, let's look at this letter. Dear, dear church, Sometimes when I make promises to you, I take quite a while to fulfill them. It's the first thing that God here says in this, this lesson. And that's an important message to realize because some of you have probably been in a battle for a really long time. And it feels like, why has God not come through yet? Why am I still, I thought I would be done battling this a long time ago. <coughs> well, if you feel that way, you are not the first one and you are not the only one. How long, again, did it take before Isaac was born, the child of promise, from the promise to when he was born? How many? How long did I say? 25 years. So first of all, if you're in the middle of a long waiting period, you're, you're, you're not alone, and it's not unusual. This is, this is common with God's people. It doesn't make it easy, but it is common. And in the middle of that, recognize, and this is kind of point B of, of the first one, is even though it takes a while sometimes for God's promises to come through, don't fall into the temptation to take matters into your own hands. A lot of the issues in Scripture that we see are when people give up and being patient, when, when they say, I quit waiting for God, and they try to do it their own way, and they act according to their own feelings and their own thoughts of what makes sense to them. And when that happens, hurt happens. I mean, that's what we see here in our lesson today when we're told that the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she says, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. This is such a sad scene. This woman is pregnant and she feels so hurt and beat up by her mistress, by the woman who she serves, that she, she just runs. She says, I quit. I'm out of here. And she goes. 
If you read through Genesis and many of those, those Old Testament books, Judges, and so on, one of the things that, that is often commented, I remember when we had our small group, we went through the time period of the Judges and so on, this is a really brutal time. Do you know how safe it is for a young pregnant woman to just go on her own and leave? It is not. For her to feel so, I'm done, that she leaves, what a terrible scene, awful sad scene. And she's running from Sarai, who is the wife of Abram. These two people, two of the most notable people in the history of the church. And by the way, I need to offer a clarification, and I forgot to do so at the beginning. When we talk about the church, we're not talking about a church. We are talking about all Christians everywhere. The church. The church gathers in churches, but churches are not the church. Churches, like a body shepherd, are where the church gather. And so the second thing that God says in his letter to the church is that sometimes church, sometimes people who make up the church do really terrible things. And we got to be honest about that. Abram and Sarai were so hurtful towards Hagar, she took off. She said, I quit. I'm running. And throughout history, they're not the only ones, important people in the church who have done really awful things. And part of that, as you think about it, part of it kind of makes sense. I mean, when we gather together, we're not gathering together saying we're perfect. What do we do at the beginning of every worship service? We confess our what? Our sins, right? We're a gathering of sinful people. And there's another reason why it kind of makes sense, too, is, is the more that I get to know different families, the more dysfunctional I realize every family is. You know, every family's got some strange dynamic going on. Um, at least somewhere in there, you know, there's that uncle who's super awkward and always says things that he shouldn't. And there's that aunt who thinks she should know everybody's business, and she just offers her opinion when nobody wants it. And there's a hurt issue from back in the day, and there's... there's there's this bitterness that's still there. Families are messy. And if church is a family, what should we expect it to be? Messy. So some of it makes sense, but that doesn't make it easy. And I know, because you have told me, some of you, that you have been hurt deeply by the church at times. Some of you are even here Partly because you were hurt by the church. And this has been a place where you have found healing. And you found comfort. If you have been hurt by the church, in case no one has ever said it to you before, on behalf of the church, I am sorry. In case no one's ever said it to you before, I'm sorry you were hurt by Christians, by the church. It's a sad reality that that happens. And I know some of you have been hurt deeply. That's part of the message that God has for us today is, is to realize we need to be honest with that. Sometimes that happens, and the church can do terrible things. But we also need to realize that as the church does terrible things, we are part of the church, and maybe sometimes we've also contributed to the hurt and the pain. Maybe you can think of an example. Maybe there's something that haunts you guilt-wise. But maybe you can't think of an example. And if you can't, I want to share a quick story with you. It's from uh, early in my ministry. I'm not going to share a lot of details because um, if you've been around here for a while, where has my ministry been? Here. <laughs> so I'm not going to, you know, get you too many details. But early on in my ministry, I remember um, it was a really busy day here at church. And uh, I acted in a way that 
was hurtful to somebody. Didn't realize it. I didn't mean to. It wasn't on purpose, but it happened. And someone, that person reached out to me later and called me on it. And I'm so thankful they did because I had no idea. And it gave me an opportunity to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And it gave us an opportunity for forgiveness. And it gave us an opportunity to repair that relationship. It gave us an opportunity for me to, to learn from that and to go forward and do better. Which, just quick side note, if someone hurts you, I know it can be hard, but do them the favor of telling them about it. Especially if something hurtful comes from Pastor Krause or myself here. We don't mean to. Uh, we, don't, we, we, we mean to pastor and shepherd gently, but we're sinful people. Sometimes things are coming wrong. Please tell us. I, I, I appreciate that, she t- that this person told me this, not just because there could be forgiveness afterwards, but also it made me realize that, you know, I had no idea unless this person told me. And if I didn't have any idea about that one unless they told me, are there other instances where it has also happened and I have no idea that I was hurtful to somebody? And that may be the case for you, too. We need to recognize that sometimes we don't even know. But we've been maybe part of not just the hurted, but the hurt earth. And we don't even realize it. And not only that, Jesus, remember, he looks in our hearts and he says that if you harbor hate in your heart, it's, it's in his mind, it's like murder. If we think hurtful thoughts in our head and our heart, God sees the hurt of that, too. Dear church, sometimes we do awful things. Sometimes God says you do Sometimes awful things and cause a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. That's the hard part of the mail, the message that we get today. But there's hope right away, as there always is with our God. Right away in this lesson, part of the context, remember, is that Abram is a significant person in the history of the church. God (coughs) did, (coughs) excuse me, in his time, fulfill his promise to Abram. God never wavered to carry out his promise. See, when the church acts nothing like God, it doesn't stop God from being God. The church might be so hurtful that it causes people to go, I quit. But God says, I never quit. And I don't need you to be the perfect church. I am perfect for you. Abram and Sarai did some terrible things. Christians throughout history have done terrible things. But God is always God. And he is always good. And no matter what people have done, he still carried out his promise to have there be Isaac born to Abraham, and then through that line, generations later, he would have his son come and save his people from their sins. I've come to realize this is one of my favorite verses out of those lessons that are often read around Christmas. Why is he given given the name Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. This comes right after this whole long list of all these ancestors of Jesus. And that's one of those sections that I think when we're reading our Bible, we tend to kind of blow past, like, okay, those are the generations next. But the reality is that those generations lay out for us that Jesus' family is really messed up. It's a lot of junk that happens. And he, his, name, his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He will save Christians, people who sin and mess up and all these various things, Jesus took your sin and mine and the sins of all the church on himself, all the world on himself, absorbed that pain, absorbed the punishment that comes as a result, took it so that there could be justice, 
so that those sins could be dealt with, so that there could be forgiveness, so that there could be reconciliation. Dear church, maybe there's, there is definitely a lot of hurt going on in the church that has gone on in the church, but God says, do not quit on the church because I never did. I never quit on the church, and I am not quitting on you or the Christians around you. My son died for you, and he rose again. Dear church, I never quit, and you don't need to either. Not only does he say don't quit, but it's not just a far-off, distant message that he gives to you. In our lesson, we're told that the angel of the Lord came and found Hagar. And uh, Pastor Krause a couple weeks ago talked about this term, the angel of the Lord, and how it was actually it was a term that was often used to describe not just an angel as we normally think about them, but actually the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who would become the man Jesus. And he, he talked about how it's, sometimes it's hard to tell, like, is, is the angel of the Lord referring to an angel or the angel? Um, he brought out a couple weeks ago how often there's an article in front of the angel, so it says the angel of the Lord, not just an angel, but the other big teller is context. Here in the original language, there's not an article. It doesn't say the angel, but later it specifically says that Yahweh, the Lord, spoke to Hagar. So here Hagar is out running, saying, I quit. And who personally came and found her? God himself. He came to her and he met her on the path. It says that he came forth, excuse me, that he appeared, that he met her, that he was present there. Dear church, wherever you are, wherever you are in your journey, whether it's guilt from the past or whether it's being hurt from the past, wherever you are, here's what God says. God says, dear church, I meet you right where you are. I meet you with forgiveness. I meet you with love. I see you and I meet you. Dear church, God says, I meet you wherever you are in the path, wherever you are in the journey. For Hagar, he's, he went on to say, he said, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. Now, as we look at this, uh, at this message here, I want to be a bit careful with how we apply it. Because what we are looking at here is not a directive for all people of all times, but there's a principle here. What I mean by this is, 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 is that God tells Sarai to go back where you were. That doesn't mean that God always says to us, wherever you were, whoever's been hurting you, go back. This is a specific directive to, directive to Sarai. Excuse me, Hagar. Yeah. This is a specific directive to Hagar to go back. He's not always saying go back to where you were hurt. Sometimes you need to make changes. Sometimes you need to move forward. Sometimes you need to find a different place where you can be healed and you can find comfort and confidence. But there's a principle here. And remember, again, we already talked about this. When, when, when Hagar leaves, is she leaving to find a place of healing? Or is she leaving because she's found somewhere where she can find hope? Why is she leaving? Because she's given up. Because she has experienced a spiritual attack that came from one of the, the matriarchs, the patriarchs of the church. And she has just given up. And so what does God say to her? 
Don't quit. Do not give up. Don't lose heart. He says, I have a plan for you. I will increase your descendants and they will be too numerous to count. God meets you where you are and he says, don't give up. Go back. Maybe not back to where you were before, but go back to being part of the church. Go back to trusting in him. Go back and believe that he has a plan, not just to carry out for the world, but for you personally. Dear church, dear church, don't give up. I've got a plan for you, and I'm going to see it through. Now, with all this, with this message that the Lord brought to Hagar, Hagar goes back, and she has that baby. But let's be honest, it wasn't easy. And there would actually be a time later where Hagar and this baby who would be known as Ishmael would actually leave again. It would be tough, very challenging, but there's something from this interaction with God, something from this message that apparently impacted her, that empowered her, encouraged her to go back, and was a message that she could keep throughout her life. This is maybe the best Bible verse, in my opinion, that nobody knows. I never hear anybody quote this, but I think it's just amazing. Hagar, we're told that she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. This is the name she gave to the Lord. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. If you're going to take this whole letter and summarize it, it's this. Your God sees you. He sees you right where you are. He sees where we've gone wrong. And he sees us with love. Love in such, in such a, a way that he sent his son to die for that wrong. And he sees you where we've been done wrong. Where you've been done wrong. Where you've experienced hurt. Where you have been the victim of a spiritual attack and it didn't come from the world. It came from the church. And he sees you. Dear church, the Lord sees you. He sees what you need. He meets you where you are and he gives you exactly what you need. He carried out his plan for the world and he has a plan for your life. Dear church, God is with you every step of this day and he has given you the hope of eternity. Dear church, God says, I see you. This is the message. This is the message God has for you, church. But today, I want to especially think about the fact that this isn't just the message for the church, but this is a message that should come through the church. Because all around us are people who were attacked by a church, by people in the church, by the enemy working in the church. And you know what they did? They ran like Hagar. They said, I quit. There are people that you see at work in this town and in, in these communities who have said, you know what, I give up on it. The church wasn't there for me. It didn't teach me what I needed, whatever. And so here's the message you have, and you get to give to them. The message you give to them is not, hey, look how perfect my church is, but rather it's the, admoni- it's, it's the acknowledgement. Now, you know what? My church is full of sinful, broken people. And yes, sometimes the church does awful things. And those awful things have caused hurt, and sometimes it's make you decide, you know what? I quit. But you know what? God has not quit. 
You can tell people that wherever they are, God meets them there. And you get to be the mouthpiece who says, you know what? I know that hurt, and God is here with you, and he wants to heal you. That even though the church failed, your God never did, and he sent a Savior for you. You get to let people know that God cared us, plan for this world, but he still is working on their behalf. This is a message you get to bring to a world that is running. You are on the offensive of God, where you get to come forward and to bring healing against that spiritual evil that's been fighting against them and give them the hope that even if Christians have failed them, the church in some ways has failed them, God never will. He says, I see you, and I meet you. This is the message for us, and this is the message that gets to come through us. This is what God is saying today, dear church.